So my episode 1099, Sophia Amoruso, author of the New York Times bestseller, Girl Boss. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It sucks to be taken down, but the stuff I learned being called out publicly about building a crappy culture in my first company and other things that I was accused of, or I don't know what the word is, were like kind of fair. They're not, the delivery is not always fair. And the, you know, how big the kind of backlashes isn't always necessarily fair because I wasn't a bad person. I just didn't know things and got this responsibility to build a company with hundreds of employees and totally unqualified. And I think you can just kind of expect that, but um, it's an opportunity for everybody to learn when they get negative feedback. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is Sophia Amoruso, also known as The Girl Boss. She is a New York Times bestselling author and entrepreneur. And in her latest venture, she's going wheels up with a new program called Business Class. It's an in-depth online entrepreneurship course that covers the fundamentals of starting and scaling your own business. Registration started yesterday at takebusinessclass.com. This is a course, Sophia says, she's prepared to teach like nobody else, thanks to her successes and failures running high-profile businesses. You may know Sophia as the author of the book Girl Boss, which chronicles her personal journey of dumpster diving, shoplifting, starting an eBay account, and turning it into a clothing empire known as Nasty Gal. Since then, though, it's been a roller coaster of a timeline. Shortly after appearing on the cover of Forbes in 2016 as one of the country's richest self-made women, Sophia's business, Nasty Gal, which was the primary source of her wealth, filed for bankruptcy. Sophia moved on quickly, raising money to start her next business, Girl Boss Media. That company was recently acquired by Attention Capital. And this year, Sophia stepped away from the CEO position. And in recent months, the Girl Boss movement, which she became the poster woman for, has been criticized for its lack of inclusivity and diversity. And as you just heard in that excerpt, Sophia here gives a pretty honest interview talking openly about her ups and downs, what she makes of the quote unquote cancel culture around girl boss and why she's actually glad she never became too, too rich. Here's Sophia Amoruso. Sophia Amoruso, welcome to So Money, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I don't know, hanging in there. Very happy to have you on the show finally. I know we've collaborated a couple of times over the years. I've been on your podcast. So I'm happy to now share the mic with you on So Money. It seems like you've been working nonstop for like, I don't know, 15, 18, 20 years. And I thought it was really funny on your Instagram feed recently. You said that you were going through your report cards from grade school and a teacher said that you had trouble staying on task. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit because you do seem to have this appetite for work that is, and all different kinds of work that is um, really admiring. So, wh- where does that come from? 
You know, I don't know how I managed to be so prolific with this many tabs open in my browser and the number of Google Docs that slow down everything else that I do. You know, I've always had a great team. I have a couple people now working with me on my next endeavor, business class, which I know we'll get into. So it's always, always having great people around me. And also, I give myself artificial deadlines, I think. You know, I now we're talking right a little bit before the launch of this and I better pull it off because what happens if I don't? So I tend to do that to myself is put something out into the universe or say it out, not just say it out loud, but like have other people depending on it and other things depending on it. And then I have to make it happen. And it's exhausting. You know, it's been it's been a while since I've felt burnt out. And that just, it kind of just hit a wall yesterday. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, I watched Selling Sunset on <laughs> Netflix for a little bit and that wasn't, I should have just taken a nap, but I still have a hard time concentrating, but uh, there's a lot to do. So I guess that's my answer. Well, I think it's interesting that you say like, if I don't do it, what's going to happen, you know, is part of the pressure being in the spotlight and having this track record that is so prolific that you feel like you have to constantly be wowing people because you, you, you do have a wow factor to you. Thanks. Thank you. You know, there was a time where I felt that way and that thinking really is, it really drives a kind of stake between it's not the right intention. It's not, it's not the right reason to do something. And I've done that because, you know, I fell down, I got back up, I have a mortgage, so I definitely need to be building things and working and I'm unemployable. So that's why I get up and keep going so quickly. But there have been times where I have something to prove or I have a chip on my shoulder, you know, with my second company, Girl Boss, I really wanted to, to get some things right and, not all of that was about the public because I actually didn't do it. I mean, I did some press, but in the grand scheme of what I've done, like I've, I really, it's so weird to say that I was like quiet, but I focused on the business more than anything. It's easy to lose focus Mm -hmm. when the world is celebrating you all the time. And that definitely happened at nasty gal, but I, I, I definitely, I was able to right some wrongs or things that I didn't know that I should have been doing as a leader and a founder like what in my first company. I mean, I had no idea what culture was. You know, I felt I feel like I built a really great culture at Girlboss. And that was something I needed to prove to myself. So it's all not all like public facing that I need to prove to people that I'm resilient. It's like everybody kind of has to be resilient because you kind of have to get a job. And so I'm not really sure why I get extra credit for that. And I don't I don't agree. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I I wanted to prove to myself in the same way I think it is when you have kids. I don't. But, you know, it's like you really try to right all the wrongs, you know, the damage that your parents handed you and do a better job. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with Girlboss. It was as much an exercise in building something great, building a great team as it and, you know, and, and business that I was able to eventually sell to, you know, as it was a personal mission to do better. Mm-hmm. Really. And and with business class, with what I'm working on now, I just want to, I've extracted so much for so long. And now, and I've aged, you know, it's like, it's on my face. <laughs> like, I don't need to like, you know, I'm, I'm still solving problems, but most 
the main thing I want to do is share the solutions I've found over 15 years. Yeah. Now as an entrepreneur, I started when I was 22. Uh, I just want to give that away. I just want to harvest it. I just like, I want to help other founders because it can be very lonely and there's so much stuff I had to learn the hard way. And it just, after 36 years of being celebrated and being an only child and talking about myself, which I'm doing now, really like what I want to wake up to do every day is talk about other entrepreneurs, their struggles mm-hmm. and how I can, how I can support them. And business class, I mean, look, at this point in 2020, there's so many, as you know, you probably did your research. There are a lot of business, online business programs led by women at the same price point, $2,000. How is your program a better value? And if I can answer this first, I would say it's that you have been through a lot more ups and downs and sideways. You really had some public difficulties with the bankruptcy of Nasty Gal. So talk about that. Like, what is the differentiating factor of business? Yeah, Yeah, it's hard to be like, well, I'm, you know, me. But I have a group that I call the my insiders. That's just a group of entrepreneurs, mostly that I met through my years at Girl Boss, And we have weekly calls and we talk about everything from our struggles that week to decisions we're trying to make to made up fears and things that, you know, may or may not happen to our, our high points and whether or not you should be hiring an assistant and um, when you're ready to, you know, invest in your business. And the one question I asked was like, what do you guys, cause they've seen the the course content. They've actually done it. They've done the worksheets. Um, so there's over a hundred pages of worksheets. It's over maybe 150. I can't, I don't remember. It's a lot, um, of, of self-led study. Um, there are videos and there's a community, but it's really mostly self-led and thinking about your business. But when I asked them what's different about this, And I expected them to talk about the content because the content is really different. What you learn is largely very different than what you learn in a lot of these other courses. Their answer was me. You know, it's, it's that I've done it and that I built something from scratch. I built an eBay store and then did, I don't even know what happened, got lost in the, in the undertow of venture capital and um, accolades. But I've, I've been there and I've bootstrapped the way they have And I've done it with a business that a lot of people relate more to, at least my audience. So a lot of these uh, online courses, yes, are for business, but a lot of them are for how to build your own online course business, very specifically, which I'm just doing for the first time. I don't even know if I'm necessarily qualified. I'm not qualified to teach that course yet. I have a lot to learn. Um, so I'm really talking to entrepreneurs who are building product-based businesses, also service-based businesses, but a wider, I think, variety of businesses, people who have existing businesses or have a really clear idea of what they want to do and are ready to go all in on it. This isn't for uh, the faint of heart or someone who's just dipping their toes in the water. We're talking about competitive analysis and you know, SWOT analyses and branding and identity and marketing and the things that, you know, I think I've done really well. And it's, so it's a much more properly, I think, in-depth course that isn't super rah-rah. It's very kind of honest. And I'm sharing and teaching things that have really worked for me, but I don't claim to have like the solution. And so I think in the online course business, there's a lot of you know, if you do this, this will be your life. 
And that's not something that I feel comfortable selling to anybody because everybody has a different opportunity. Everybody is starting from a different place. So I'm, I'm doing it in a way that I feel has integrity, at least for me. And yeah, you have of- the scholarship program, which is really great. Yes. $1,000. Tell us about that. Yeah. So we've partnered with an LGBTQI group, and you can learn more on, on the website, as well as a group that supports women of color, BIPOC, and Black entrepreneurs. And so we have, we've, we're giving away $200,000 in scholarships to the program. It's a pricey program. It's $2,000, like you mentioned, but it's also a $99 initial price. So you can pay over 24 months, which is kind of amazing. Still, that's a lot of money. And so there are groups who haven't kind of historically had access to education like this, who have been marginalized. And I want to make sure that this isn't just for people who can afford $2,000, but something that can bring up a whole community of, of people who haven't necessarily had access to things like this and, and build their businesses alongside them. And we also have in partnership with Outset, it's called the Outset, and they're the creative agency that I worked with on beautiful business class branding. It's all airline puns and wheels up and your passport and each of the modules is called a flight and everything within that is called a leg and I'm your chief flight attendant. And it gets very punny because I love things like that. And we can't um, get on flights right now, really. So can, this is so the I, next best thing. It's either triggering or it's like a nice vacation. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a risk I'm taking, but it's fun and it's beautiful and it's not a sterile learning environment. So I worked on this brand with this woman, Linda Honan and her creative agency, The Outset, and they're giving to one, there's an application process to one of the students, a full brand identity, which is like over a hundred grand. Like these guys did, um, they did uh, Daily Harvest's brand. They did Marie Kondo's brand. They did Ray, that like beautiful supplement brand. Um, And so they've worked with, you know, top, top, top startups and a lot in the wellness space, really. They've just done such a good job and they're giving away one free kind of full suite of a brand identity to one of these entrepreneurs. So that's just like, that's, I mean, so few people get that. And while the course Mm -hmm. takes you through creating your logo and fonts and colors and, you know, building something really unique and uh, vision boarding and looking at your competitive landscape and, you know, not copying people, this is really kind of next level. So that's super exciting. That's great. Congratulations. When you reached out to me on Instagram, I was like, wait, what? It's not every day like someone with 700,000 followers reaches out to me personally, but um, I could tell you were really excited about this and I I really applaud you. You know, you, when you talk about things like making it more inclusive and all of that, it, it reminds me of some of the headlines earlier this year. I'm sure you read them about the girl boss movement and how, you know, some critics suggesting that, you know, the feminism of the girl boss movement was not accessible to all women, in particular women of color. And so I'm just curious because I thought about you a lot when I was reading that. And I was like, what is Sophia feeling right now when she reads this stuff? I just wanted to check in with you and see how how are you feeling about that? Yeah. You know, if there's a larger group of people who love what I'm doing, then there are people who are grumpy about it. Then I'm happy. Uh, there was a time when if one person said something negative or criticized what I was doing, it was like, you know, my day was over and I've just been through enough to know what matters and what doesn't. And honestly, like a lot of the 
kind of ex- the examination deconstruction of the term girl boss and how it's become, it's completely out of my control. It's a word people use. I'm a girl boss, you know, the girl boss movement. So while girl boss was a business and a book that I wrote and I started that thing, it just became part of the zeitgeist and really represented what I think became an era of white female entrepreneurship that, you know, that was, that was a good thing, but also not something that everybody necessarily related to or brought other communities up with them. When I read these things, you know, the era of the girl boss is over. Oh, one was really great. The girl boss industrial complex was like a tweet I read. I don't take myself that seriously. So the book I wrote over six years ago now, six and a half years ago, I was a completely different person. We were in a different world. There was no way I could have known the things that I know now about the experience of other communities. It was a fun book about my journey, you know, flopping around. Yes, white privilege, right? Like I, the first things I sold online were stolen. Like I can get away with, I could get away with stealing because I wasn't a target in the same way that a person of color would necessarily be. Like, you know, I'm not going to be followed around a store and monitored in the same way. I'm not going to be profiled in the same way, even though I got caught a few times, right? So it's a story. My story is not still not one that everybody relates to or could necessarily have followed. But I love being examined in that way. I don't think it was necessarily there were there were definitely, you know, criticisms that were unfair and, you know, things taken out of context. And I've been, you know, made responsible for things that I never signed up for. And that's in some ways what comes with the territory when you put yourself on the cover of a book. But we're talking about 2014. And I thought we were in kind of a post-feminist world. I it was like, yeah, girl boss. It was very simplistic. And that was great at the time. The book has inspired and helped so many women to start businesses, plenty of women of color, right? Many more than I think are examining, you know, the uh, semantics of the combination of the word girl and boss. So I'm proud of what I did with Girl Boss. We're in a new era. Um, I've moved on from Girl Boss. I will always be the girl boss, but that's not really the, you know, what I'm kind of wearing on my shoulder. And I moved into a new space where what I'm building is for everybody. It's not gendered. I, I want dudes. I want, you know, <laughs> I want everybody to take this course and and, and enjoy it and benefit from it. Um, I became the face of, you know, representing women without really... I didn't really expect the word girl boss to do that. And then when the women's movement hit, um, it was like, okay, what do you have to say? And I'm like, damn, like, I'm not, I need to learn a lot here. Like, that's not, mm-hmm. I, I, that's, I didn't necessarily sign up for that, but that's what I became responsible for. So it's been an interesting journey. I've learned a lot. I am so grateful for the time I spent at girl boss and came out the other side a lot less of a bimbo when it comes to, you know, inclusivity and intersectional feminism, but also just the experience of, uh, you know, different people and feel like, yeah, feel a lot more equipped to build what I'm building, I think, than I did when I started Girl Boss. 
I think that's super authentic. I think that's really honest. I also feel as a journalist, I was annoyed with the coverage just because I felt like, and this isn't just with this story, but there are so many, there were, there have been a lot of women this year in particular that have had to step down from their positions at various companies. And the media just has a, a ride with that. They, we love to bring down women. And I'm not saying that their, that their actions were not wrong or that they didn't deserve to leave their companies. But it's like, can we also remember that, you know, that the, the workplace is still run by men. More, there are more men in leadership positions doing bad things every day. And the level of just tearing downness that happens in the media against women leaders, we don't have an opportunity to, or it seems like we have less of an opportunity to say, hey, yeah, we screwed up or I'm learning. No, you should have known. You should have known better. And I think that that is very ironic that we're talking about, you know, being feminist. And yet the way that we cover and the way that we discuss women's roles in, in, in corporate America and in entrepreneurship, the expectations and the, the markers for success are, are much harsher, I think. I don't know if you agree with that as someone who kind of, you know, experienced it first firsthand, but as someone who's like consuming that as a, as like a, as a, just a fan of reading about women in leadership positions, I'm like, huh, this is interesting. It seems like there's a bias. Yeah. I certainly think women get more flack. There's less of us. I also think, you know, a lot of us have gone on a victory lap because there's a, maybe a handful of women, mostly white who've wound up on these, you know, lists and covers of magazines and that stuff's I think that stuff is has been great you know in some ways I paved the way for I don't know how to describe it like the like I, I thought I was I thought I was personally the only entrepreneur female entrepreneur who I thought I'd like fucked up in some way that was unique and the fact is that everybody makes mistakes and has blind spots. It's not necessarily an excuse for anything that anybody's, you know, been accused of. I also think that generally startup culture and venture capital pumps a lot of this, you know, there's an expectation of a utopian workplace. And, you know, these first time entrepreneurs, they can do their best, but the difference between what it actually takes to build a startup and the kind of culture and cool brand and coolness that comes with joining these companies, it brings a lot of expectations on the employee's end. And it's hard to live up to this. You know, if people join a legacy company that's just like stodgy and, you know, doesn't move quickly and doesn't prioritize, you know, diversity and inclusion and doesn't care about the company culture, like that stuff's expected. When you join these super cool companies, especially the ones where the founders are being heralded as like feminist heroes, there's just no way to live up to that. Again, not an excuse. And I really can't comment on how fair or unfair it is that leaders have been I guess called out. I'm not a fan of call out culture, but there have been things that come to light in the similar, in the same way that happened in the Me Too movement that there are examples made and it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily always fair. I think the reactions to the, tr these transgressions of these founders can sometimes be outsized, but at the same time, it's, it's just kind of how it is. And so I don't, you know, I've been through it. I don't ever want to see anybody 
necessarily, you know, have a hard time. I've seen a lot of my peers go through really, really hard times. And of course, I'm the first person they call because I'm the poster child of failure. And, you know, at the same time, like, like I said with, you know, what I said about girl boss and the girl boss, the word being examined and, you know, the movement or whatever it became largely outside of my control, there's a lot to learn. So there's a certain amount of, you know, this, it sucks to be taken down, but the stuff I learned being called out publicly about building a crappy culture in my first company and other things that I was accused of, or I don't know what the word is, were like kind of fair. They're not, the delivery is not always fair and the, you know, how big the kind of backlashes isn't always necessarily fair because I wasn't a bad person. I just didn't know things and got this responsibility to build a company with hundreds of employees and totally unqualified. And I think you can just kind of expect that, but it's an opportunity for everybody to learn when they get negative feedback. It's not all, it doesn't always feel constructive, but there are ways to make it constructive for yourself, even if the delivery publicly is like you're, you suck and you're evil, you know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a a firm grip on this and you know, what's important to you and you have learned and you have moved on. I haven't asked you anything about money yet. And this is a financial show. (laughs) So um, if I may ask you a couple of questions just about what your life's journey so far has taught you about building wealth, because you've been through so many ups and downs and you have been, you are self-made. And I'm just wondering, Sophia today versus Sophia, maybe let's say when you were on the cover of Forbes, what has been the biggest financial lesson for you? I think easy to overspend. Like when you get money for the first time, I di- which I did, I didn't really understand. I went from, you know, knowing each dollar that went into my company to having, you know, whatever, $60 million in venture capital plowed into my business. And I couldn't really feel the business in the same way that I did because that was just so much money that it was like, okay, we're going to spend and grow and hire. And it just wasn't like, oh, well, it wasn't as piece by piece as bootstrapping. And then in personally, yeah, so I lost track of like what the value of a dollar was. Like I knew exactly what it was. And then once things got expensive, everything was expensive. So the difference between 10 grand and 30 grand was like, oh, like that's just expensive. I didn't like, I didn't have any like benchmark that those, those, those numbers are really far apart in terms of, you know, the way I've spent my money, I could have done a better job. It was a blast and money comes and goes. I'm saving for, you know, I've saved for retirement and I have my investments and I have a lot of equity in my home and, you know, I'm working really hard uh, now, but you know, the only way, sadly, for me, the only way I learn things is by doing them and making mistakes, which is just so excessive and expensive sometimes. And I actually wrote in a journal that I re- reread, you know, back in 2012. And this is about me personally and not the company's money, but the only way to learn what's worth spending on is to spend it, <laughs> which is like, it's a very <laughs> and expensive. And then you'll know. Yeah. 
And what are some of the ways that you had a blast, as you say, with, with oh the Oh my money? God. I want to know all, I want to live vicariously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a ride and I just, I don't even crave that lifestyle anymore, but it's super fun in your twenties to like have money for the first time. The mistakes I made, you know, I think I plowed too much money into my house in terms of improvements. I was like, I want the light switch here and silk drapes. And I mean, it was just like, I hired a, I hired a really great interior designer that I collaborated with and they give you three options and they're all expensive. And you're like, okay, like I'll get that sofa. You know, I have beautiful stuff, but I, I'm going to keep it forever because I never want to replace it with something as nice. <laughs> you know, I think vacation, you know, it's like I spent a lot of money on travel, took friends on trips, took my mom on trips, paid off my mom's mortgage. You know, having money, sharing it is the best thing. So whether it's sharing my house and giving my friends a place to swim or taking my, you know, my best friend to Amangiri in Utah for her birthday and like eating fee prefix meals with the muse bouche or whatever. Like, again, I don't care about that stuff anymore. Like I'm happy, like reheating my amazing taco chicken taco meat that we make and eat for three nights straight. Um, but it's nice to know the difference. So I think with money, very, very fortunate to be on the other side of having, you know, gotten this kind of windfall of cash and, and not, early on. And then in some ways having the opportunity to make hundreds of millions of dollars taken away from me because the company didn't, you know, I could have sold the company for over 400 million in 2014, had an offer, piece of paper. I owned 80% of it then. And my investors said to go ask for more and it just all went away. (sighs) So, I mean, there's so many stories of, you know, things that could have happened and then Hail Marys in the end. But had I had I actually pocketed the value of the equity I had in the company, I, I don't, I don't know if I would like that person and to be on Why, the other side. you think s- the money would have changed you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I would have been hanging out with like weird rich people on <laughs> like in Europe. Do rich the- people have to be weird though? It depends on how rich, like mm-hmm. they're, they just don't know what to do with their money. Like if yeah, hundreds of millions, I think like you probably get weird. Um, <laughs> you know, but my, yeah, in my experience, it's like there's only so many infinity pools. It's like, I don't have a memory of sitting by like, this is, there's no, I'm not creating memories. Like if I go backpacking, oh my God, I encountered a bear. It was difficult. We ate weird mm-hmm. freeze dried astronaut food with a tiny camp stove or like, you know, going on a hike is you staying at a four seasons and then going on a hike in Hawaii. All I remember is the hike. It's just like. So un, it's unnecessary. It's great, but it's like, you know, there's there's a point of diminishing return. Um, but I, I guess what I'm getting at is that to be young and be on the other side and know the difference and what, you know, that money enables us to have a life where we're not stressed out over money and sometimes perks like everybody should sit by an infinity pool at some point if you can. But to have experienced that before retirement, for example, where most people like grind their entire lives, which I'm still doing, so I don't even know why I'm saying this, but they grind their entire lives to get to a point where they can take the vacations that I've taken. And I'm on the other side of it, knowing that like, that's not really what matters. 
So to know that early is very much is a gift. And I'm grinding now because I like bought an expensive house and I'm basically have a lifetime subscription to a very expensive subscription product, which is fine. Um, you get a good interest rate at least? I have a good interest rate. I refinanced earlier this year. I I really, you know, I don't have a huge mortgage when it comes to you know how much equity uh, I have in my house, but property taxes are expensive and uh, houses are expensive. They're just expensive to, to, everything breaks, you know, an air conditioning unit's eight grand. Landscaping and half acres in LA is, you know, just cutting the grass and it just all adds up. Well, Sophia, I'll let you get back to the housekeeping. Cause I know all about that. To some extent, I, you know, I'm in the same camp with our home in New Jersey. We just bought it and we went from an apartment in New Brooklyn and, yeah. Anyone who says that a home is an investment never paid real estate taxes and never paid a lawn service. That's for sure. Totally. It's like, I kind of think if you can find a great rental, it's just like have your landlord fix stuff. I, I, I'm not sure ownership is as great as it's cracked up to be. I want everyone to check out your course, business class. It is on sale right now. And the cart closes when? In October? October 9th. Like you can't sign up after October 9th. And I don't know when we're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's guided over eight weeks. And that's why is that, you know, everybody's really the same like cohort of students and are taken through the course together um, where we give like a deeper kind of we give deeper insights. Um through our community and through email into the content. But yeah, it's, it's, it's live. It's, it's super fun. It's at takebusinessclass.com. Takebusinessclass.com. And hey, if you follow the eight weeks through by 2021, you might be a business owner. That's pretty exciting. I hope so. I think so. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this. Thanks, Sophia. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Sophia for joining us. If you're interested in her program, her course, business class, check out takebusinessclass.com. And if you missed Monday's episode, go back, rewind. We've got Suzanne Summers, one of the original cast members of Three's Company and now multi-New York Times bestselling author, health advocate, and incredible storyteller. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.